this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Come on! In Jesus' name, amen. Now your best shout ever. Oh, yeah, that was good. Acts chapter 10. I'm reading the New Living Translation. If you don't have a Bible, sorry, it's going to come up on the screen, starting in verse 9. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then the voice said to him, Get up, Peter, and kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared. I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was very perplexed. What could this vision mean? Just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house standing outside the gate. They asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go out. Go, go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? Then he said, We were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He is a devout and God-fearing man, well-respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message. So Peter invited the men to stay for the night. The next day, he went with them accompanied by some of his brothers from Joppa. They arrived at Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them, and he called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter pulled him up. Stand up! I'm a human being just like you. So they talked together and went inside where there were many others assembled. Peter told them, you know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Jew Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent for me. Cornelius replied, Four days ago, I was praying in my house about this same time, three o'clock in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man dazzling in clothes was standing in, in front of me. He told me, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Now, now send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying in the house of Simon, a tanner who near, lives near the seashore. So I sent for you at once, and... It was good of you to come. Now we're all here, waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. Verse 34. 
Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of the good news of the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You may be seated. Thank you so much for being here today. Robin and I are thankful you come out and part of what we do. We're in a series. First, I'd like you to do me a favor. I'd like you just to give a roaring cheer for Ray and my dad last week who spoke. I appreciate that. I'm so thankful. I was in Pittsburgh last week and speaking, and so I appreciate your prayers. Uh, I want to continue on with what we're talking about. If you're new, I'll just catch you up real quickly. The whole point of people is to understand how do we connect Jesus to people? How do we make him real? How do we get people to understand that it's not just a historical figure or like the bottom right corner? He's not just a painting, an abstract, as Joe Rogan said, you know, on his podcast, you know, kind of the New Testament sort of, eh. And uh, it's all just a farce. It's all made up. And so I understand that. I'm not here to fight that of what people believe about Jesus. But I do want to fight the fight that if we're born again, then there needs to be a reality of who he is. And over the years of serving God, one thing I have noticed is a lot of us who are believers and we say we believe in Jesus, eh, there's still a misunderstanding of what this whole thing is about because a lot of times we say we believe in Jesus and what we mean is I've checked a box so I don't go to hell and I just try to live better. So if I was a drunk and I come to Jesus, I just really try to not get drunk anymore. Uh, if I cussed a lot and I come to Jesus and check the box, I just try to quit cussing. I, I just try to be a better person. Uh, my comment to that is without God, you can be a better person. You can go to school, you can get educated, you can go to counseling, you can read books. You can become a better human without Jesus Christ. You do not need Jesus to become better. You need a good spanking when you're a kid. You need a good mentor. You need a good book. You need some good education. And you can become an incredible human being. But Jesus didn't come to make us incredible. He didn't come to make us better. He didn't come to give us money and jobs. And we can do all of that without him. You can become a millionaire without Jesus Christ. So the point of, of this archaic painting coming to people was because he wanted to make you 110% different than what you were. Uh, the Bible will say this, you are new. You're not better, you're new. You're not an old couch with new leather. Your couch is totally gone and there is a brand new piece of furniture in the home. That is what salvation is. Salvation is not you were broken and God repaired your brokenness. That is what medicine and psychiatry does. We take your brokenness, we medicate you, we try to plug the holes. He did not come to fix your brokenness. He came to take your broken mess and chunk it as far as the east is from the west and raise you up a brand new person where you're no longer broken and you no longer have holes and you're no longer a royal mess. However, in the South, we talk being born again, we talk church, we come to church, 
and most of our Christian walk in the deep south is just trying to be a good person so that I can hear Peter say, come on in, boy. And I might, could, fingers crossed, if I do this well enough, I might get in the pearly gates. And that is so far from what the gospel is. And so how do I present this Jesus to people? And if he is who he says he is, then how does the devil mask him so that he does not become real? And the reality of how he masks Christ is he makes us religious. Because when we become religious, we don't present the right, uh, give the right presentation of who he is. We present our denominations, we present our preferences, we present our productions to people. And if the right preferences, the right denomination with the right production coupled together could draw people in to give us money so we can build a bigger building and get money to do more stuff so we can tell all these people who are coming to this production of purpose that we have to be religious how to be better people. And it is, it is a waste of time to try to give all your effort to become a better person if we're doing it for the sake of Jesus. Because the goal is, there's no hope for me to be better. I must die to myself and become a brand new person. Now because of that thinking and because of the deep south and because of religion and because of the world we're living in right now, we find ourselves in a mess. And the mess is, over the last year and a half to two years, maybe three, you've realized how real quickly... It, we have discovered we're probably not as new as we thought we were. We've become divided over politics. Republican and Democrat mattered more than born again. We split friendships. We split churches. Because we can't agree. We can't agree if Trump is Jesus or if he's the devil. So we split. We can't agree if President Obama is the Antichrist or the Savior of a new agenda. We split over it. We can't even speak about it. But yet we'll, we'll call ourselves born-again Christians, but, but please just get out of my way. I can't even believe you think that way. Don't even talk to me. And so what we have, rather than churches for Jesus, we have churches for Trump and churches for Biden and churches for who God's man is and churches for who's the Antichrist and churches for who's the Savior. And we all come together and clout and sing songs and we're happy whether we wear a red hat that says MAGA or we feel like a red hat is the new Ku Klux Klan agenda. Or, and then we just fight over that. And then we get on Facebook and we post and we add a scripture because that definitely makes it feel more spiritual. And then I find all the videos that say that President Trump is the Savior and he's the sent by God and he's going to change the world. And then I find all the other videos that say he's the Antichrist and he's a fascist, racist, misogynist. And then I'm out there and all i got to do if I can just juggle whatever scriptures I need to prove my point because my point is not about me being different. My point is about me being right. And so I get all the scriptures to prove how right I am while they get all the scriptures to prove how right they are. And so we just split, and then, then we want to know why the church doesn't even make an impact in our local communities today. So I want to talk today about this. Let's go into what Ryan read. Let's just jump in. That was a pretty good introduction, wasn't it? I thought if I was going to dig it, I might as well just dig it deep, right? You're going to dig it, boy, dig it deep. 
The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on a flat roof to pray. It was noon and he was hungry, and while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance and a voice, verse 13, said to him, Get up and eat. You ever felt like you're so religious that the only way God can get through to you is put you to sleep? <laughs> like even if God told you audibly, as long as you're awake, your mindset is so foreign to His kingdom that you wouldn't do it anyway. He's stubborn. I know he's Peter. I know he's like the dude of the New Testament. But he's so stubborn that God wants to do something through him that the only way God can get through to him is to put him asleep and give him a vision where he sees this open vision so God can confront him. Which tells me this. It's one thing to be religious. It's another thing when God wants to confront you with it. And I would say, myself included, most of us don't like to be confronted with what could be going on in our life. I want you to tell me how good I am, maybe tell me how I can be better, but please don't confront the areas I don't want to talk about. So God does it. God puts him asleep, and God's going to get his attention. Next verse. No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and clean. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. And he's so stubborn, proving he's a man. It took God three times for this boy to even remotely understand what was being said. Come on, women, that was your chance to go, yes, Lord. How many times have you told him to pick his underwear up and you have to tell him again and again and again he still won't do it. She says, Martin still won't pick up his underwear. She needs to pray, God, put me in a trance. <laughs> and then I wake up one day and go, I've seen the light. The underwear suddenly rose off the floor and went in the drawer. And she goes, hallelujah. <laughs> well, that's where he was. He was religious. He's walked with Jesus. He's seen the miracles. He's walked on water. He's a notch above the other disciples. He's the head of the day of Pentecost. He's the preaching machine that just won 3,000 souls to Christ with his first message. And yet he's so stubborn that God has to put him asleep and gut punch him three times to wake him up because he's so connected to his race that he cannot even fathom that God could do something outside of his race. So here is my thought for today. From the inception of the church, God knew that our racial identities, if not confronted, would hinder the spread of the gospel. White people, if you don't confront your identity and understand what God's trying to do, our whiteness can hinder the gospel. Blacks, your blackness can hinder the gospel. Hispanics and Asians, your race, your racial makeup can hinder the spread of the gospel. Now just to help you out, if you think that racism is a problem 
in America and some white guys came over from Europe and caused this problem, you're sadly mistaken. Racial horror and racial identities from Genesis chapter 11 have been a problem. They didn't become a problem when Columbus came over. They have been a problem from the get-go. And if you want to talk church people, race and racial identity that hindered the gospel has been around since week one. It didn't become a problem in the South. It's been a problem from week one. God had to take the head of the church and give him a dream because he was so stubborn. It took him three times to go, bro, the way you think about being a Jew is hindering what I'm trying to do on this planet. And because you think you're better than somebody else and because you think your race is better, because you think your skin color is better and you're so stubborn, I have to put you to sleep to teach you something that there's a plan I'm trying to work that's higher than your racial identity. And I don't want you touching my race. My race is my God. My race is my identity. My race is my heritage. And I'm not against any of that. Of course it is. But when your racial identity and my racial identity hinder who we are in Christ, we're in sin. We're just in sin. There's no other way to look at it. And you can check the religious box, but if you're checking the religious box, dropping the N-word, you have a problem. You're either checking the wrong box or you've never been born again. Because you cannot let your racial identity hinder the work of the gospel. I mean, I say that like you cannot. But I think we all know we're human, just like Peter. The way mama raised me, the way daddy raised me, the way my granddaddy raised me. We were raised to stay with our people. We were raised to just do football together. We were raised to go to to school together. But by God, don't marry each other. Don't bring home somebody of another color. Oh, granddaddy's going to be ticked. And I understand that. I grew up in the South. I know. I mean, I grew up in the 60s and 70s in the South. I remember when they integrated the schools. I remember seeing the Ku Klux Klan walk down the street with kids holding very racially motivated signs. And I remember thinking, who are these people in bedsheets? These look stupid. But one thing I know, it didn't just start, it's been here all along, and the one goal is not to make whites hate blacks and blacks hate white. It's to infiltrate our identity so much that the gospel cannot be known by people. And if you want to know how powerful it is, the devil's working overtime to keep us at odds with each other. And the church really is doing doodly squat about it. That was, a, that was like a junior high word, doodly squat. It just came out of me like butter. Doodly squat. But I, it is time for the church to at least say, what's going on with all of us? 
And I, I don't want to be dumb. I don't want to stand up here and act like I'm dumb. I understand culture. I understand upbringing. I understand if I'm a specific culture, I like a specific style of music, a different kind of worship. I, 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 like, I like, you know, I guess the best way we'd find it, I like white music. What that means is a dude playing guitar. Kumbaya, my Lord. And if it's black music, my thinking is it's a Hammond B3 organ, and everybody's like, mm, come on. I mean, I understand it's culture, it's the styles we like, it's the Hammond B3 organ in the background, it's the clapping off beat. I understand white, it's the sing a little better on key. I understand, you know, whether it's a Hispanic style or a Japanese style or. I understand we, we can have our styles. I understand some people like a preacher in a suit and tie, and some like a preacher to hoop, ha-ha, and holla. And I understand that. And I understand some people from some weird way like the way I sound. <laughs> I, don't, I, I listen to myself on YouTube and think, who can listen to this? It sounds so horribly redneck. I understand we have preferences. Preferences doesn't make you a racist. What makes it racial is when my racial identity becomes so much my God, I cannot even let the gospel be known. Because my color overrides my faith, my, my preferences politically, my preferences for music, my preferences for preaching, the rules that my mother gave me when I grew up, the rules that my elders passed down to me of the way it should be. It's totally different from what's going on here. It was so powerful that God had to step in and give a brother a dream three times to wake him up that his thinking about his own race was hindering what God was trying to do. And we sit here today and think, well, I, I would think without much debate, we would all agree that we live in a, a really racially charged environment right now. Whether you experience it truthfully or not, just watch the news and they'll tell you we're in a war. Whether we're debating critical race theory, that it's a whiteness, institutionalized whiteness problem, or whether... You say Black Lives Matter, and oh no, that group's the problem. And then now we all just have to pick. You're forced to almost pick. Oh God, do I believe in Black Lives Matter? I mean, I believe in Black Lives, but but not the group. Oh God. Well, the Proud Boys—they're they're not really racist. They're just a bunch of good dudes that love to shoot guns. And then you got to pick. Well, I, I was a Republican until I realized I could be racist. Now I don't want to be racist because I want to be connected to misogynistic. To the point that you just sit here juggling, I don't even know what to do. Post a black square and feel better about myself. Or don't post a black square because when I do, I must be caving to an agenda. And I think God's just up there sitting on the throne going, yeah, I ain't going back to get him yet. I don't even want him up here. Right? I mean, if I was daddy watching us, I'd be like, yeah, not now, man. Y'all got to grow up a little bit. And yet, to sit here, and here's my thought for today. Here's the thought I got. We're religious but racist. 
And I'm not telling everybody in the room. I'm not picking on anybody. I'm not trying to say critical race is this or that or your political preferences or I try to be a big enough boy to realize everybody in the room is going to have their preferences. But I also want to be a shepherd that tries to address something that may wake us up and may make us think critically not about race but critically about the gospel. Because when you're thinking more critically about your race than you're thinking about the gospel, we've got this thing backwards. And neither do I want to try to demean anybody's race because I think how we were raised, or not raised, but the body we've been given by God, God knows. God knew the color you needed to be and He put you here. And He's good with it. So let's read through it and then I'll give you my thought for today. I try not to make them. I mean, it's a heavy message, right? I don't try not to make it heavy. I'll, I'll try to just give you my thoughts. So when I was praying for us this week, this passage jumped in my heart. I don't have a lot of points. I don't have a lot of thoughts. I just want to read through this scripture. And as I read through what Ryan has already read, I ask you to just listen to it and hear the struggle of a guy that's struggling with his racial identity to be pushed by God to create the gospel. And he's struggling with it. It doesn't mean Peter doesn't love the Lord because he's struggling. It doesn't mean that Peter is not passionately in love with Christ because he has these internalized things. So, so let's just be thoughtful to each other. Maybe you were raised by a grandparent that every color should stay on your side of the road. Or maybe you have different thoughts about races and you know, I don't know. I don't know how we were all brought up. But as we read it, I would just ask you to hear the tension in a man who's being confronted by God and what God's going to demand out of this man so the gospel can be known. And my prayer today would be, no matter how we were all raised, that maybe we would hear the confrontation of God to us today. And we would be honest with ourselves. Has my racial identity become more valuable to me than the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Peter was very perplexed. Of course he is. He's a Jew. He's trying to figure out what this thing means here. Uh, he's puzzled about it. It's obviously going to bother him because the, the Holy Spirit say, listen, don't, just don't even hesitate and don't worry. So at least God's fair enough to go, I'm going to touch something that's going to be a sore spot in you. God knew it was a sore spot. It was so sore that Peter's like, I don't even know what's going on here. Ugh, it's so tense right now. Huh? Oh, what's God doing? That? And God has to step in and go, now look, I know what I showed you just shocked you, but just relax a minute, Peter. And don't hesitate with what I'm about to tell you and don't worry about it. Now, I highlighted it in, in purple because I, I want you to grab hold of what's happening. There's a group that's looking for Christ and the answer to Christ is someone who doesn't like that group. And God could have simply said, yeah, you just keep your Jewish self over here. I'll find somebody else. And God's like, nah, this is probably going to be a problem for 2,000 years, so I need to go ahead and address it now. You, old oh boy, need to know in your stubbornness that there's a guy over here praying to know me 
And rather than sending him somebody that looks just like him, I'm going to send him a racial, identical person who is really stuck in his racial identity. So don't worry and don't hesitate because it's something I want to do. So what I'd like to just say as we move forward, this isn't just Mark saying, let's all try to get along. It's God showing the church that was birthed, this is his idea, that we not just get along, but we become a model of how the gospel will be spread. Next verse. And so Peter went down, and he's still kind of perplexed. Why have you come? And I highlighted in blue. Because what's really perplexing to him is there's no way a Roman and a Jew could hook up together. There's no way a black and a white could marry. There's no way that we could do ministry together. There's no way we could do life together. There's no way we could do church together. And so again, it kind of brings this heavenly idea that this is not just some pharisaical idea. It's not just a religious idea. An angel has to come and really bring him that that what I'm trying... Now watch, I'm not just trying to get you to change your mindset. I'm literally calling you into something you've never even understood how powerful it is because you're going to have to go to his house. You're not just going to have to sit across the street and go, yo, hey, I love you, love you. I'm going to call you into a place of intimate relationship with this person. I don't like that at all. I don't mind you giving me a dream. I can write a book on it. But I don't want you to go too deep here and make me have any kind of relational equity with people I don't like. Because of the truth be known, if we take the title people of the message, the truth is really this. I like you, but I don't love you. I don't mind you being on the planet, but don't mess with me. I don't mind you, you people having your thing, but don't mess with my thing. That's really what we mean by people is that we all have these identities of upbringings that hinder people knowing Christ Jesus and it's playing out in front of our very eyes. Next scripture. And they arrived at Caesarea and all of his relatives and close friends were there. So now God's just shoving him in the middle of it. He's shoving a Jew right in the middle of a bunch of Gentiles. Let me, let me tell you how, how this would feel. Years ago, I was asked to go bury a friend's mother who was in our church. I said, can you come do the funeral for my mom? Yeah, love it. Be glad to help. What they did not tell me is it was an all-black funeral. And I'm the only little white boy there. And I walk in the door, and the first thing is like, okay, I'm underdressed. I mean, that was my first thought. I didn't think anything because they were all Christians. I just thought, yeah, I didn't dress up for this. Oh, I was looking at my shoes going, oh, I don't have a hat on. Oh, and my typical personality is always sit in the back anywhere. I never go to the front row. Never. I don't like it. I just like sitting over in a corner. And so they said, Pastor Mark, come up on the stage. Oh, I just don't, A, I don't want to be on the stage, but... So I got up on the stage, and it's just a sea of beautiful black faces and, and me. I'm just standing out like a pimple on a junior high forehead going to prom. I don't feel bad. I just feel like I've never been in this environment. I don't, 
I've never, I've never done black funerals. I do boring white funerals where we all sit around real quiet. <laughs> this, you would have thought this person was resurrected from the dead. I'm on stage and all of a sudden an entire band, drums, guitars, kids that are like nine years old shouldn't even be able to play music that good. Get up there and just start jamming. And I'm just like, man, this is awesome. And I just kind of, I have zero skills to dance. Zero dance moves. All I got is kind of like, you know, just that's it. I can, I can do the robot. That's about all I got. And all of a sudden, the doors just go and bust open. And, and I, I'm on a guess. I'm not good with numbers. A hundred people? Come marching in. Lord, I'm praying to reach a hundred. Ninety-nine and a half won't do. Lord, I'm praying to reach a hundred. Ninety-nine and a half won't do. One measure in, I was like, Lord, I'm praying to reach. And I'm clapping off the wrong beat. Reach a hundred. It was the, I'm telling you, it was, it was incredible. I was just like, oh my God, this is awesome. So we go to barrier, right? I've never buried anybody black. I do it white. We cry, we say something, and we all go away. Oh, no, no. No, no, no. They said, Pastor Evans, would you please commit the body? And I was like, yes. Father, we lay this body to rest in Jesus' name. Amen. I go over to shake hands because that's what white people do. The body's not going anywhere. And the funeral director goes, I, he was looking at me like this man is an idiot. <laughs> he didn't say that. He just kind of had a... He said, you're not done. And I was like, I'm done. I didn't know what... I literally, I just said, I don't know what to do. He said, commit the body. I said, I just did. You have to commit it to the ground. And I literally, we're talking, I'm like, I just committed it. He goes, no. And instantly, I guess the Holy Ghost took a stubborn old boy and said, say ashes to ashes. And I went, I don't even know that phrase. I've just watched a lot of movies. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm totally serious. All I knew was I was thinking about the Godfather, and I was like, ashes to ashes. And they went, <laughs> dust to dust. Earth to earth. And I was like, I did it. I did it. And they buried her, and I went away. First phone call. First phone call after that, I called my wife. I said, Robin. She said, how did it go? I said, listen, when I die, bury me black. <laughs> did I not? <laughs> bury, bury me black. Do not give me some sorry white funeral. I want a Hammond B3 organ. I want a hundred people dancing around celebrating my life. So, <laughs> I understand we have cultural ways, right? But I didn't like my cultural way as much as the other. Can you imagine when a Jew walks into a house full of Gentiles? He probably stood out like a sore thumb. He's like, Ooh, oh, man. He probably just stood over in the corner like, oh, this is awkward. I hope nobody sees me. But God's trying to do something. Next verse. 
And Peter told him, you know it's against our law to even associate with you. What a way to just introduce yourself. <laughs> right? It's like, okay, God, I'll go. <clears throat> oh, my God, wow. Well, I would like to just say something to all you Gentile people here today. I just want all of you to know I'm a Jew. And I shouldn't even be here. Because it's against my religion and my law to even be in your house. But, but I tell you what, that roast beef looked good, though. <laughs> I mean, really think about that. How, how racist could you be? If anything, shut your mouth. Don't open up and tell them how you know this is the most awkward moment in the room. Fake it. But God wants us to know you can't fake it. He wants to show us all that deep in the roots are our racial identities that will hinder the gospel because what you think needs to come out and what Peter thought at home while he's perplexed finally came out and his heart was spoken. I was perplexed because my rules and my law says I shouldn't even be here with you people. And so what God was confronting were the rules of his heart. And God was confronting his race. And he said, here was the problem. It took God opening my eyes to realize I thought differently about you than I should. And I was so stubborn, God had to open my eyes. So I came without objection. Next scripture. Cornelius replied, well, I was praying. And my prayer was heard. Next verse. So I sent messengers to get you, and it was good if you've come. And now that we're all here waiting before God, I really just need to know what you want to tell me. And here's what Peter tells him. I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. And this is the message I want to give you is there's peace with Jesus Christ. I think at that moment he had a revelation of what it means to be born again and not religious. Religious is you stay at your rules, I'll keep my rules, you keep your race, I'll keep my race. We'll both run the same path headed toward God and God's like, yeah, no, no. Not how it's going to be. I want you to come together because when you come together it will give a message to the world. This is Mark's opinion. There's going to be no president that solves this issue. There's going to be no political party that solves it. The thing that will solve it is the body of Christ. If you think you can vote somebody in to change the laws so we all get along together, you're sadly mistaken. The devil will never let that happen. Even if your candidate gets elected and you think they're in there of God... God never intended for the federal government to fix the problems of our heart. It's the job of the local church to say to a community of Douglasville, you want to know how we all can do this? We've been born again and we all worship together and we may worship under a black style or a white style, but we've come together and we want to be a testimony of the world. There were not a black church because we have a black preacher or a white church because we have a, a white preacher. We are God's children. And that's how we have to present this thing to the world. And yet you watch TV. We hate each other. You watch TV. We're going to shoot each other. You watch TV. The world is working overtime to keep us at odds with each other. 
And we come here and we may rub elbows that we're different colors, but when we walk out the door, we still think racist. We still think I'm better. We still think that my, my, my racial identity carries more weight than the gospel. We, it can't be that way. It just cannot. The world's never going to have an answer. What, what is the answer? He puts skinny people and fat people and happy people and sad people and white people and brown people and black people and yellow people all in the same building and we come together and we worship under a banner of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we become a testimony. But if I walk out the door and say, now we don't mind going to church with them, but ooh, don't ever bring another color home, son. We don't want to... We want to keep our, we want to continue the stream here, boy. We have to be honest with each other. Or to come here and we worship together and we shake each other's hands and we hug each other's necks, but we go out while we're telling jokes, we're telling very racially slurred, motivated jokes that it, we, we think that's okay. That, that that's all right, that God's up there laughing, going, oh, yeah, you people are never going to get over it. I was just joking about the whole gospel thing. Let's go to the book of Colossians. I want to just give you a few scriptures, and then we'll end. I'm just going to let this soak in. In the new life, this just stings. It just doesn't matter. If you're a Jew or a Gentile or circumcised or uncircumcised or barbaric or uncivilized, a slave or free, Christ is all that matters. If we can get there, I think we can make a difference. Because as I look across the generation of our nation, I say there's a bunch of people who claim to be born again. I'm not saying you're not. It's not my job. But we definitely claim salvation. We claim to be a Christian. But it's hard to get past that comma to say, who my color doesn't matter. My race doesn't matter. That's just too hard, man. I have a lot of pride in my race. A lot. I'm not saying you shouldn't. But I'm saying when that matters more than your new life, God has to confront us. And my belief is somewhere in the last... I don't know. I wish I, I wish I had the stats. This is just my belief. I believe the church has done a poor job saying that Christ matters because in the last five years, race has mattered a little more. For whatever race you are, and the world is shoving it down our throat, it should matter more. But you must clothe yourself. In other words, don't just live it. Change everything about it. Next verse. Make allowance for each other's faults and clothe yourselves with love. And here's the new rule. You remember Peter said, I got a rule here. We can't get together. Here's the new rule. You have to let peace that comes from Christ rule your heart. There's a different rule, and the rule is love. Here's the conclusion. The reality of Christ Jesus is known when we, of all races and faces, join together as brothers and sisters 
to declare that peace is possible through Jesus Christ because we are a new race living under a new rule. How could the Bible say, in this new life, my race doesn't matter? I've been raised it matters. I've been told it matters. It's, and I understand that, that is what I meant at the very beginning when I said a lot of times we have these beliefs, but they're not the gospel. Because the gospel is everybody in this room that claims Christ is a new creation. You're a holy generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a people who belong to God and you were bought with a price and you were not your own and you're now brothers and sisters under the banner of the King of Kings because in relationship to that banner, everything pales in comparison. Now, how could a hundred, I guess we have a hundred plus here and then the second service. So how could 400 people make a difference in a nation that is riddled with divisive behavior. To go back into the schools where racial epithets are thrown at each other. Would we? I don't know. All I know is when I read the Bible, 120 people turned the world upside down. And in that 120 people that were passionate, God still had to check their heart. That you need to check your heart to make sure that your identity of race is not hindering what I'm trying to do in the gospel. I don't know what God's going to do with us here on the corner, but I pray that we would at least be a model of the new life in Christ. And I don't know what your granddaddy told you or your mama or what you think or what you feel. I understand all that. But I'm asking in the reality of who we say we are, we're brand new, that God shows no favorites. We're all human beings called by God to do this together under His banner. And regardless of color... The fight for the gospel of the peace of Jesus Christ far outweighs anything I feel. And if I feel different, I must repent. Amen. I hope that helped you. Let me pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, give God a hand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message.